welcome to Church and Other Drugs. Sup, motherfuckers? God, that was aggressive. <laughs> what's going on? Uh, well, I'll tell you what's going on. So here's, tell me. Here's, Hit me here, with the truth. Uh, oh, God, careful what you wish for. So here's the thing. <laughs> so I was... Uh, I was having a little rough day the other day. I I, uh-huh. I was in a, a ton of financial insecurity, and I was like, okay. I was like, fuck, I need to call someone. So I call my good buddy John. Right? Uh, he doesn't answer. Uh, he he sends back a text at the movies. I say, oh, yep. okay, that's a reminder. True facts. Living my best life. Later that night, uh, Facebook <laughs> posts. Oh, just had a baller fucking dinner with Scott Countryman. Uh, wow. And I was like, you know, he never called me back, of course. Uh, he's no, just, he's I didn't. just being a 1% rich white American over there while your boy's just suffering over here. Needed help. I'm out ya. I'm out ya. You God. know what I'm saying? I thought it was so... So ironic though. I literally was like, I was like panicking. Sucks, He's like, oh, I can't sorry. talk. I'm at the movies. I didn't mean to do that. One so here's the see. deal. I we saw what did we see? Is a kids movie? Oh, Incredible. Teen Titans Go to the movies. Oh, was it? It's awesome? It's pretty entertaining. It's pretty funny. Yeah, I heard it. Was There's lots funny. of fart jokes. It went over very, very well with my four and six year old. And you don't front. And me too. Oh, of course, of course, of course. Um, so we have, I have, uh, family in town. I actually just left the airport. I'm taking this, uh, we're taking this podcast on the road, baby. I'm in the car right now. Wait, who's in town? Um, Jerry, my sponsor from the West coast. Jerry Holla, Holla Jerry. Yep. So Jerry, I actually just got back on a plane to California. So, but I will say like on that dinner note, yo, our boy Scott can cook dog. Really? That, yeah. If you're in the Charleston area or even if you're not. And want to come to the Charleston area, you have got to go to Saltwater Cowboy. It's fucking incredible. So good. What'd you eat? Uh, we had all kinds of stuff. We just let Scott order for us, but I had meat sampler, which was pulled pork and ribs, and then barbecue shrimp and grits, and the special was a bone in pork chop. Boy, that was probably the best pork chop I've ever had in my life. Real talk. Oh, nice. So good. So good. Yeah, so come on down. Saltwater Cowboy. It's on Shem Creek. They film uh, Southern Charm there every Thursday night. Don't know what that and is, but sounds it's a like trash, a porno. It's a trash, it's a trash TV sh- reality TV show in Charleston, South Carolina. Oh, it's like Jersey Shore, but... But r- mega rich white people. Oh, that's yeah. awful. Yeah, it's oh, pretty bad. I've never seen it. is warm. That's right. That's nice. exactly right. There was a McLaren outside from one of the Holy one of the shit. people when I yeah when we rolled up. But um, all that bouginess aside, um, it's not crazy expensive to eat there, so you shouldn't feel that bad that I was well, eating there. I told him I'm going to come down there for Christmas. So okay, good. That's the plan. Uh, so I went to Baton Rouge for a counselors conference last week. Yeah, how was that? Uh, it was good. It was well, and it was still. <sighs> Uh, this is maybe like three days ago, uh, my medicine stopped causing me like intense, weird anxiety. So that was still okay. during the week where I still felt kind of weird. So fun. Okay. Uh, it was cool though. I got to see a bunch of my old counselors that I was, that like, you know, I used to be a client for and they're like, how are you doing? And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm a counselor now. And they're like, oh, cool. 
So that they're like, oh Jesus, yeah, what has like, happened? Oh wow, they're just letting anybody in nowadays, <laughs> aren't they? Uh, Dude, but I wanted to say, so they don't have a KFC. I, I, you know, I'll just throw this out there. KFC is one of my guilty pleasures. I fucking love KFC. Taco uh, Bell's one of mine. Anyway, continue. Well, they don't have one in Lafayette. Uh, they have very what? Yeah. So there's only the closest they have one. Popeyes, though. Oh yeah, of course. Hella Popeyes. The closest one is in um, Baton Rouge, and so uh, me, I was hanging out with Brad, and I was like, "Yeah, where do you want to go eat?" And I was like, "Let's go to freaking KFC." And mm-hmm. and I I was just reminded at why nobody goes to that KFC and why no one is there ever. I was like, so my this is basically how the ordering process went down. I was like, "Yeah, let me let me get the." Uh, southern gold or whatever it's called uh chicken strip meal and he was like man we, we ain't got no chicken strips and i was like oh motherfucker what it's kfc yeah, I, okay i was like okay <laughs> you know I, I was not dissuaded i was like all right well let me get the um let me get the uh chicken sandwich with a side of mash or with a side of coleslaw and he goes oh but we ain't got no coleslaw and I was like, what, dude? And I was like, okay, <laughs> let me get mac and cheese. And he was like, man, we ain't got that. Man, all we got is mashed potatoes and gravy and uh, chicken. And I was like, but not chicken what tenders. And he was fuck? like, no. And then I was like, okay, let me get chicken sandwich, mashed potatoes, and a Mountain Dew. He was like, man, all we got orange soda. And I was like, what? And he was like, all we got is orange soda. And I was like, are you oh, fucking kidding me, Lord. dude? So I was like, so you basically have orange soda, coleslaw, and like maybe a chicken sandwich. And I, oh my lord, it was awful, dude. That's a heated email to corporate from me. I, I mean, what's the point? It was like this. It was literally like, I mean, the, <laughs> if I had to gauge that dude's like will to live on a scale of one to <laughs> Lance Armstrong, he's hanging around a. Uh, an He's Adolf hanging around Hitler. to Robin Williams. Yeah, Ooh, there, yeah, there we go. All right. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's getting a little dark in dark. here. Dark. Uh, what was the other thing? Oh, I was at the gym. Uh-huh. That's about it. What's up with you? Oh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Weak. No, so I was at the gym. Um, I was on the bike, and they mm-hmm. have, you know how they have, they all, I don't know about your gym, but on the TVs, it's either Trump on CNN or Fox or like a, it, this was during the day and it was a game show. Oh, uh, they, they play sports on repeat at my gym. Oh, okay. It's just yeah. ESPN all the time. I would much rather that. So they had oh, Let, yeah, Let's Make a Deal with Wayne Brady. <laughs> That's awesome. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. Okay, well, it, so at first I was to- <laughs> I was totally in like look at our stupid society. I was like, this is just like the Hunger Games. It's all brightly colored and like, ooh, distraction. And look at this bullshit. And I, when, I, when I tell you that within three minutes, I was like, oh, my God, take the, be- take the door. Take the door. Like, <laughs> I mean, that shit yeah. hooked me in. Like, that shit sucks you in, dog. It sucks you I'm in so you. well, dude. I just downloaded, speaking of suck you in, I just downloaded Pokemon Go on my phone. I'm like three years late. You are three but I'm, years late. I'm driving around finding fucking Pokestops. You got to come I mean? and get Louisiana to get the, the geographic exclusives. I know, yeah. Well, the one of the reasons I did is I saw my friends are in Europe right now, and they're playing, getting all the crazy Pokemon. I was like, fuck, I'm about to, I'm about to be traveling a lot here soon. I should 
get all the best Pokemon. You, that's you're so late on that. That's hilarious. I like, know. I'm well, so I mean, late. I, well, I, it's already come and gone for me. I guess I should re-download it because they, it's a, now they do like trading and can't they do one-on-one yeah. one battles now? I don't know. I haven't gotten that far. I just downloaded it like two days ago. But my wow. kids fucking love it. Dude. Yeah. So your kids are at the my age where they can loses like. His shit. That's pretty cool. He's four, yeah, it's pretty dude. Rad. What is happening? I know. You're old, dude. I am. I'm going to be 31 mm-hmm. August 25th. Yeah, you're old. Isn't that crazy? That's super crazy. I'm going to be 32 in December. Ugh, gross. I know. It's so gross. Gross, dude. Kill yourself So now. gross. I should. That, I've yeah. already peaked. You know what I mean? I've for sure already peaked. A long time so ago. So I feel like it's just downhill from here. Yeah. Well, how, how's life otherwise? Uh, pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Nice dinners. You know. Living the lifestyle of the uh, rich and famous. I hate you. I had a serious, like... Oh, and listen to this. On top of everything... Okay, so this is funny. And it was a good realization. Uh, So, I tried to get in... Y'all don't have inspection stickers, but we have to get inspection. Like, it's it's an emissions, whatever. It's it's more money for the government. California. I know you're talking about... So I went to get one, and they're like, "Oh, you can't get one. Your registration's expired." And I was like, your, uh, "Your registration expires?" And it dawned on me, I have never been oh sober long Lord. enough for to have an, a, a registration run its full course. <laughs> Isn't that fucking? I never knew that was a fucking thing because I've never been sober long enough for that to happen. Uh, it's only good for a year, bro. No, it's two years here. Oh really? Yeah, that's funny. It's only a year here. Yeah, so I didn't even know that's that was a so thing, funny. dude. I, I just always assumed that, like, uh, I guess in my mind, you just go to rehab and and, uh, <laughs> and then you get another registration, and then you get another you get bullshit out. car from Craigslist, and that's just how you that's just how you do it. That's life. But that then I also life. found out. So my li- my driver's license expire uh, expires on my birthday this year, and I was like, oh well, let me go ahead and get another one while I'm here. And they're right. like, oh, so you didn't turn in your license plate from your last car. And I was like, okay. oh, okay. And they're like, yeah, so it's going to be $647. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Bro, <laughs> that's why you're fine. That's why you tried to call me. No, 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 no. This is after. This is a new <laughs> one. This just happened this morning, dude. I, I had actually, oh, I had actually kind of made my peace with it, and I was like, okay, things are okay. And then, and then, wham, dude, the DMV hits me straight in the dick with six hundred and forty-seven dollars <laughs> because I didn't turn in my fucking license plate because I so, I scrapped the car. And once uh, again, instead of learning this shit in high school, I can tell you when the fucking Hoover Dam was built. I mean, I can't, but <laughs> I don't know the twenties, thirties. Yeah, dude, that is that's some serious. Dude, that's almost a. Th- oh like, lord! Like what, dude? If you I don't round fucking up, have that, man. Yeah. Uh, uh, so what are you gonna do? You just like wait to get, wait to renew your license, I guess. For well, what but you do. It, and then here's the thing: is if I wait more than ten days to renew my license, I get more charges on me. Gosh, like it's what such a the racket, fuck, dude? Bro. I, yeah, dude. I was like, who do I, who do I appeal <laughs> to? This on is this? how the. This is, I've read a bunch of articles recently about 
And I've been there, believe me, I've been exactly where you are. But that's how it costs. It's more expensive to be poor in the United States. Thank you. You know what I'm saying? Because you get strapped. Oh, I don't have that six hundred dollars now and I don't have an option to pay it. So now I get another two hundred dollars on top of that. And it just it compounds, man. Yeah. And it's we keep the poor poor. And it's um, it's fucking disgusting, really. This is how revolutions start. I mean, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go start a Facebook yeah. group and organize a protest like tomorrow. You and, should. And pick at my you local should. DMV. I'll have a, yeah, ben- a benefit please. concert for Jen. <laughs> this poor junkie didn't know <laughs> for my you were supposed to... my expired license. Yeah. I mean, it's like, well, I figured you. It's just so like, fuck, man. People are so. I hate it. You would think that it the people sucks. that bought my car would be like, hey. Because it wasn't a person, it was a company. It's like, hey, you should take your license or you're going to get really fucked in the ass in two and a half years. No, they don't give a shit about you. No, they were probably like, oh, this idiot. <laughs> they probably just didn't even know. They just turned oblivious. No, they're probably like, sweet, here's, <sighs> a, uh, here, here's a, a tag I can use to go commit bank robbery. I don't know. You're right. What is the point of this? You're right. Um... Well, anyway, we have yeah. a killer interview. We do. It's my girl, my girl Mags. She's a very close family friend. She's um, a way better human being than me, Jed. So uh, it's awesome. She did a lot of she did drugs for therapy. So that's pretty sweet. Yeah, something uh, I can safely say I have no experience with. Yeah. Me too. I tried. I mean, that's really what I was trying to do the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. I mean, that's to cool. an extent. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, All yeah, right. She did. Yeah. She did. Uh, just more intro. She did MDMA uh, therapy for post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, yeah. Correct. So super interesting. Everybody listen. Send us an email. Churchandotherdrugs at gmail.com. Patreon. Backslash churchandotherdrugs. Talk to y'all later. Leader, oh, hey, watch your mouth. Hold your tongue, boy, because you're running out of breath, running out of time before every careless word that you utter. When is you one of the useless? Now you're drowning in your own saliva. Try to speak yourself to the top of your empty world. Keep on talking, just keep on ripping. You got your mouth. being silent now what's up everybody hello uh congregation our friend maggie's on maggie welcome to the show we appreciate you coming on all that good stuff 
So just for a little context, congregation, I know Maggie from our house church. She's become um, one of my and my wife's best friends. We're very, very excited. She's coming to Mexico with us, which is super exciting. Jed, you're now uninvited. I don't know if you got that memo. Aww. but Can Kaylee can- still go? Kaylee can come. You can Okay. Um, and so over the course of what, Maggie, how long have we known you? Two, two years, almost a year and a half. I can't believe that it's just that short. Um, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I mean, house church started August of 2016. Okay. So almost two years. It's been two years because I met her the first time I came to Charleston. Right. Yeah. 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 And that was two years ago. Yeah. Right. Yep. Um, so Maggie is another Southern California. I'll let you tell your story, Maggie. Where are you from? Who's your father? And what does he do? What does he do? (laughs) Uh, so yeah, I'm from Southern California originally. Um, I got to Charleston because I was married and, um, my husband is Marine and he got stationed in North Carolina, then got out of the Marine Corps and wanted to go to a school down here and, um, came down here. Um, I'm a welder. I uh, started college with art, took a single medals course, fell in love with it. When we moved, I didn't get to finish my degree I was working on. So I was like, I want to do something with medals. And so jumped into welding. um, Like construction welding? Um, Yeah, like I'm technically um, certified in structural MIG and stick and pipe welding as well. Nice. Um, I'm currently working for a company. We build museum exhibits and theater sets and uh, music festival uh, setups and stuff like that. Um, my husband and I are separated <laughs> for various reasons. How, how recent was that? That um, 10 months ago. Okay, so pretty recent. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I met him as well. You did? Yeah. yeah. Um, he... I'm not the red is because uh, he had been cheating um, throughout the entire marriage and we realized that he was in a space that he could not be honest at all about almost anything. Um, And yeah, I don't, I'm not really mad at him, which is a weird thing for a lot of people. Um, I just feel like he's really lost right now. Did that take some time? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was obviously deeply hurt in the beginning. And I, as we'll talk about, I struggle with anxiety and depression from PTSD. Um, And so that just kind of compounded with the stuff I already struggled with and then having all this new stuff to struggle with. Um, The feeling of worthlessness and all that fun stuff um, was very, very prevalent in the first few months of the separation. Um, they that like through this PTSD trial that I just went through, um, <laughs> my outlook on life is very different now. Did you, were you, um, like, have you like, were you like clinically diagnosed depressed in, uh, anxiety disorder or like, has that been like yeah, so, since you were a kid? Um, no, um, so I was diagnosed with anxiety, with an anxiety disorder, um, maybe three years ago. Um, and nobody diagnosed me with chronic depression, but it was very obvious to anybody that was close to me, 
Um, I'm definitely a person that uh, puts on a great facade of of being happy and not struggling with anything. So if you weren't close to me, you definitely thought I had my life together. So, I, so you were you ever on medication for it? Uh, yeah, I took Zoloft for six months. And towards the end of the six months, it started making the anxiety and depression significantly worse. And I got off. Did you like self-medicate with anything or just kind of dealt with it? Um, I'm, I guess you could say I dealt with it, but dealing with it in a sense of uh, randomly just breaking down, right. um, always being anxious. You know, like there would be moments where I'd be hanging out with friends and then I'd just be like, I have to go. And then mm-hmm. I'd, on my home, I'd be calling everybody that is really close to me and like, are you okay? I just feel this sense of impending doom. I feel like somebody's going to get hurt or somebody's totally. going to die. And like just losing my shit. Totally. So yeah, all that dealing with it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the classic Southern deal. Welcome to the South. Yeah, just bottle yeah. that shit up and and bring it up. Like when your dog barks too much, just let it go. Yeah. That's... Yeah. I I think it's important for the convers- conversation that we're going to have that um do you, you don't drink heavily? I don't. No. Definitely not regularly, and um no drugs. No. Oh yeah. So um. My father is uh, diagnosed bipolar disorder, um, is, an, is an alcoholic, has been my entire life. Um, it has huge anger problems. So um, from a very early age, I didn't want anything to do with substances. I didn't really start drinking at all until I was about 22. And, even, and then it was very rare. Um, I probably drink the most frequently now that I'm in Charleston (laughs) (laughs) and fully blame Charlestonians for it. (laughs) (laughs) Do you like, when you drink, do you get the sense of, is it like, do you have to be conscious about like, you could see yourself abusing it or is it just not even really a thought? Um, when I first started drinking um, whiskey, I definitely saw that. Like, there's a point when Keegan and I were still married that, uh, you know, he actually said something about it that I oh, okay. was starting to drink it pretty frequently and um, wouldn't, you know, like, when I just, said, like, when I started drinking, started drinking whiskey. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, uh, brought up a lot of like okay clearly I need to reassess what I'm doing and some of the uh I've always had ground rules for myself with drinking um like you know always being accountable for it um so like if I was ever going to have a glass of wine while I was cooking and Keegan wasn't home I'd text him and say like hey I'm just gonna have a glass of wine while I'm cooking um I mean I was just like super proactive yeah um to to it because that was the last thing in the world was i wanted to end up like my father yeah um so tell us a little bit about growing up with your dad what was that like what was your household like what did you guys do all that stuff okay so um when i was younger so there's kind of uh we used to live in riverside from um when i was an infant until I was 11. And then when I was 11, we moved to Hemet. Um, oh, time out. I just found out that there's a giant Scientology base in Hemet. There is. There's this, it has like this big domed. And it's um, right on the freeway. I must have driven past it a million times and I had no idea. 
anyway, that's exciting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you're watching uh, that show, huh? Going or, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. So um, when we lived in Riverside, my dad um did construction and installed windows, and you know uh, used his body a lot. And he's a really big dude. He's six four. Used to be a semi pro football player. Had an invitation to try out for the Cowboys and was so cocky he turned it down. Um, <laughs> I mean, like. like <laughs> foreboding dude um and and my mom is a foot shorter than him she, she's five four she's sweet and funny and just like the the exact opposite of him like in all of his anger she has all of the compassion mm. um and so when we were younger our household was a very angry household um my dad would blow up over spilt milk. I mean, I'm, I was one of the klutziest kids around. And I mean, just like anytime I spilt anything or knocked something over, it was just like, not only did he react as if it was intentional, but also one of the most disrespectful things I could have done. Um, so from a very early point, I had a lot of anxiety about always trying to do what I could to not make dad mad. Um, and Were you an only child? No, I have an older brother and a younger sister. Um, and the dynamic it's between the three is, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. Okay. Hey, it's well, five o'clock. Uh, the dynamic between the three of us was really bizarre because of my dad's anger. Um, like when, when dad was angry, the three of us banded really closely together and, um, you know, we would like kind of all huddle in one of our rooms together. My sister and I shared a room and then my brother had his own. Um, you know, we would always, I mean, just like kind of like sit there and cry and be really scared. Um, but when mom and dad weren't around, it was like World War Three between the three of us. It was just like, I mean, I remember times where we would have started kind of beating each other with random objects. Like I remember hitting oh, yeah. my brother his back with a bat wow. um, and my sister like kicking me square in the face and <laughs> yeah, I mean, that sounds everything seems in place on that one i mean yeah, yeah. my sister yeah. used uh frying pans oh uh, my gosh my brother once stabbed me in the back with a sharpened pencil oh, nice. broke broke the tip off in my back <laughs> the uh the old prison yard special all right <laughs> Yeah, so I feel like my dad's anger translated towards a lot of anger between the three of us. Um, and my mom was like this sea of patience and calmness in the midst of all of the insanity. <laughs> what did your uh, family's like social life look like? Did you guys go to church or were you in any other community? And like, what, what effect did your dad's alcoholism play in that? Yeah. Yeah, so um, I guess when we were born, he stopped drinking for a few years um, or stopped heavily drinking for a few years. Um, and I know I think that, you know, it comes with the excitement of, of having children and feeling this like great sense of responsibility. But he has a lot of trauma in his past that has never been dealt with. And I think that the older we got, the more he started to struggle with that. And then... Um, the construction stuff started to become 
a little bit difficult and wasn't sustaining our family. And so he went to school for becoming um, an IT computer guy. And I think that's really when things started to go downhill significantly for him and his alcoholism um, because he was no longer exerting his physical work. He was sitting behind a desk in front of a computer, you know, dealing with these people that just had no idea how computers work. And that's, Mm -hmm. he doesn't suffer idiots very well. Um, So I think that bred a lot of frustration in his life. Sure. And so his, his alcoholism started getting really bad when he started working in IT. Um, And so at first, like before he started working in IT, we did go to church regularly. Um, We would go to, you know, every family function and stuff like that. Like always Thanksgivings and Easter's and the 4th of July, all those things. Um, But as far as personal friends, like I've never known my dad to have a friend Mm. Yeah. Um, and my mom uh, has ha- had always had friends, but it was just like she could only hang out with them when dad was at work. Um, or if they had kids, then it was just like, oh, well, the kids, you know, we're going to do like a play date with the kids. But we had to be the excuse for her going and hanging out with a woman and her kids. Um, It was never just, oh, I just want to hang out with my friends. That was never a thing. Like, my dad never watched us while my mom went and hung out with friends. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So when did you realize um, that you had PTSD from that environment? What did that realization look like? Um, And kind of what has been your treatment journey since then? Yeah. So I actually only got diagnosed with PTSD, like, super short. The actual diagnosis was about five months ago. Um, About nine months ago was when I was going to therapy, and my counselor was just like, I think you have PTSD. Like, all of your symptoms are checking out. She um, said she wasn't comfortable officially diagnosing me yet. Um, So that's why, like, when I first kind Mm -hmm. of started looking into PTSD treatment, it was about nine months ago. Um. Yeah. So that was after uh, Keegan broke up, too, yeah. right? And so because yeah, I had started to go to therapy for, um, okay, so the way that Keegan and mine separation worked is really weird. Um, he got back from his internship, and things were not right. And then I found out about an affair, and he refused to tell me what had happened or what was going on. He said that he wasn't going to. Um, talk to me about it unless there was an official mediator present and I was in therapy. <laughs> so there's this whole month Ugh. where I was in this like state of pur- purgatory um, where I didn't know like what was going on, um, what fully had happened. Um, and I had started to see actually two therapists. I went, <laughs> I was not dealing well with my mental health. Uh, so I started seeing two different therapists, um, <laughs> each one once a week. So I was going to therapy twice a week, right at the beginning in that first month. And I continued with the two therapists for about three months. Um, and yeah, so I, I started going to therapy again, mostly to try and cope with what Keegan was um, putting me through at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
through all of that, all of the stuff that happened with my father came up. And the one therapist that I ended up seeing for a much longer time is the one who said that she thinks that I had PTSD. What were some of, I had the same diagnosis. I was just wondering, like, what was, how was yours manifesting? Yeah. Um, so I would have, like, random panic attacks where I felt like I said, like the sense of impending doom, like I was just waiting for something absolutely terrible to happen. Um, I have consistent nightmares, um, never have slept well, you know, wake up anywhere from three to 12 times a night on a regular basis. Um, had problems dealing with being around people that were drunk. Um, like any situation where I was around a male that was similar in stature to my dad, I would start having panic attacks. Um, I've had moments where I felt like I was 16 again and, and standing in front of my father terrified. Um, and we're just like, those, those feelings would just come at, r- at random points. So I would, you know, yeah, totally. be walking home Depot shopping for plants. And all of a sudden I was, overwhelmed with the sense of terror and like i was going to die yeah it's it was social and public situations were mainly mine like anybody behind me anybody that moved quickly Mm -hmm. um dirty kind of has the same thing but we were talking about it's like anyone because mine was centered around um uh whatever you want to call it a a beat down um Mm -hmm. and so like every every situation it's like i would go through I it's still I'll, I'll go through a scenario of if I have to fight this person what's going to happen and I'll run through like seven scenarios of like when it's just like I'm at the grocery store or whatever and there's just a dude checking out behind me but it's like constant yeah. fight or flight the impending doom thing for sure over nothing really. yeah not like literally nothing yeah. um I because so the the tr- a lot of the trauma that I experienced was at night um, because my dad's a high functioning alcoholic. He goes to work. He, um, um, maybe high functioning isn't. He's functioning. Hey, if, he, if he went to work, that's pretty high functioning in my book. I was never able to. Do that. I was just saying I can never hold down a job when I was. No, young. dude. Yeah. So my dad um, really. Ha- I mean, he. Um, held down a job in IT for a long time and then um, like some weird stuff started happening with the boss his, the guy that was over him in that um, he was working for a casino it actually turns out that that guy that the boss above him was smuggling money um, <laughs> a whole different story um, so he got fired from that job or chose to quit before he got fired um, but it actually wasn't related to his alcohol uh, as far as I'm aware um, and then he got a job at County and has been there ever since. Um, so he got fired when I was like 12 or 13. So, he, um, from I'm 25 now. So over 10 years, he's been with the County for over 10 years holding the same job. Um, so yeah, that's pretty high functioning for, uh, an alcoholic. Oh, sure. totally. Um, so he would start drinking when he got home and, that's when a lot of the trauma would happen was, and he also was really good about waiting until my mom went to bed. So my mom didn't know what was going on. Um, so it would be like everybody, everybody else had gone to bed. Um, dad was still up and that's when he would come into my room and a lot of the trauma would happen. So, well, yeah, 
Um, my PTSD will come up at night as well. Like if I'm hanging out with friends at night and I, I just start having this sense of like something's unsafe. If I'm not okay here. Um, and really that's just like, it was, you know, just friends that have never done anything like that. But I would be going through these scenarios in my head of what if they start being verbally abusive or, um, you know, like something, somebody could say something even like the slightest bit negative about me, you know, wouldn't even be like, oh, Maggie's laugh is really loud. You know, that's not necessarily, that's very true. (laughs) But if it like if I perceived it negatively, I would send me into this panic of like things are just going to get worse. Like, um, because that's kind of my dad always started his long verbal abuse with small negative things about me like that. So, and I, I guess we can move into that. So, how did so after your therapist suggested you had PTSD, then you looked in the paper and they were like, "Hey, we'll give you some ecstasy." Like I'm imagining this is how it went down. They're like, check it out. Midnight rave. You will roll your balls off and hey, we'll work on some therapy while you're there. Is that is that roughly how it went down? No, but so how did uh Exactly how it went down. Um yeah. actually it was Keegan. Um so Keegan's my uh husband that I'm separated from. Um uh, Keegan listens to a bunch of podcasts, and Aubrey Marcus's podcast had a talk on MDMA PTSD therapy, um, and he sent it to me. And I remember uh, I was at work when I was listening to this podcast, and I kept stopping because the the feeling of hope was so overwhelming that it made me want to cry. Just like with how he talks about the therapy and the doctors are talking about it. And then they interview some of the people that had gone through the therapy and just like how drastically it had changed these people's lives. I was just like, had this overwhelming sense of desire. Like I need to be a part of this. And, um, totally. that's, and the so f- looked up. that's the first, uh, <laughs> uh, no, no. I mean, I remember, I mean, this is, Unrelated and similar, I mean, when I would, that was, I would say uh, MDMA was one of the drugs that changed my life. And when I first did it, I literally, that's why on a a recent story, I dragged Brad to Charleston, ironically, because I was like, every single one of y'all need to do this now. (laughs) Like, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I, I just like looked up. Um, the doctors that it had talked about and MAPS, which is the study that are the um, people that are putting on this study and um, looked up trials and there was a trial being conducted here in Charleston. And I was, I, I have to, I honestly did not think I was going to get in, um, especially because almost all of the people that talk about trauma are men that have been through traumatic war experiences mm-hmm. and females who have had um, a traumatic or violent rape, which didn't fit me on either but of case. Let's be real. They probably looked at the stack of applications and they're like, Reggie parties on the weekends, thinks this looks dope. Uh, <laughs> Jimmy Bob, uh, where are the drugs at? Maggie, you know, okay, yeah, let's do her. 
Well, um, yeah, I mean, I was so, I had so much anxiety about this process just because I thought it would, it seemed to bring so much hope that I was just like, I'm going to be crushed if I don't get in. But I also have had this overwhelming sense that I'm not worthy of anything, so I'm not going to get it, (laughs) which is a lot about the trauma as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. What Uh was the application process like? So I actually just, um, I called them and said, hey, I heard about your study. Think I have PTSD, would really love to be a part of it. And they're like, okay, we're going to, we'll reach back out to you um, when we kind of get the ball rolling. So they took my name and my information. um, And then uh, I called them and the first thing they do is ask a bunch of medical questions, you know, like, how often do you use drugs? Have you ever used drugs? Um, you know, like kind of, have you ever had any heart issues? Have you, um, stuff like that, like really easy things that will just immediately roll you out. Um, and I, do you listen to Skrillex? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) On a scale of one to 10, how much do you like glow sticks? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I passed that just fine. And then they do a phone interview with you, um, kind of just talking about your symptoms. Um, and at this point, I was like so newly, I had, I hadn't, they are the ones who diagnosed me with PTSD, actually. Um, so the I, people putting on the trial. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, okay. The trial is where I got my diagnosis from. Um, You know, and I told them, I said, hey, I haven't actually been diagnosed with PTSD. My therapist says that I have a lot of similar symptoms, and I just am at at my wit's end. Like, I need need help. Um, I'm willing to try this if this is what will help. Um, So, yeah, I got through all of the phone interviews, which I just, I mean, I I was this... And when they told me, I'd like to schedule an in-person interview with you, I about lost my damn mind. Um, So then you go through, because everything is still uh, getting approved by the FDA, um, Mm -hmm. all of our sessions were recorded. Um, There was like a bunch of paperwork, you know, that we had to go through about the possibility of side effects and that the MDMA I was going to be taking through the trial was completely different than street MDA. You know, like it's not getting cut with anything. And is that good, good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I really, yeah, you're like perfect trial candidate because when they do those, it's like there's the severe cases that will risk skewing their test. If they're trying to get something pushed through the FDA, right, they're going to want success stories and like, Yours is a very, like, good case, and I can totally see how it would totally work well on you, and it's like, I can see why that would go, why you would probably be a dream candidate. Honestly, I feel like um, I'm actually the opposite of that, because a lot, my trauma was so long, like, I experienced 19 years of trauma, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of it, like, I... Um, I almost had no memories pre 11 when I started the trial, um, which blacked out repressed. Yeah. Like completely repressed. Like, um, I had maybe three memories, like really, um, clear memories from pre 11 and they were all of my father fighting with my mother. And when you say no memories, I mean like literally like 
Yeah, I mean, just like I remembered that we had a cat at one point, and the cat died. Um, I couldn't, I could not remember the name. Um, you know, it's like if you asked me what I liked to do as a kid, I'd say uh, probably art because I'm an artist. So I just assume, you know, like oh yeah, wow. I, I, I did art as a kid, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's wild because I. Oh, all of my repressed or most of my repressed memories came back. And with that, like all of the other non bad memories came back as well. Um, So so it's just wild to to realize like, I, I mean, so I didn't remember that I used to have an easy bake oven that I loved, (laughs) you know, just like simple weird shit like that. But like everybody can be like, Oh yeah, I have this easy bake oven that I loved as a kid. Like I, I wouldn't have been able to tell you that prior to this trial. Interesting. That's fascinating. Um, totally. So um, with a lot of other candidates, they have a very clear before the trauma and an after the trauma. So when I started, um, so when I started the trial, you know, they ask a lot of those questions because they need to gauge, mm-hmm. you know, did you have anxiety before the trauma? You know, were you, were you possibly predispositioned to depression before the trauma? Mm-hmm. Um so they asked a lot of these questions of, okay, um, you know, what, what is your life looking like now? And what did it look pre-trauma? And I literally had no trauma to tell them. And I was like, I don't, I don't know if I was an anxious kid. I don't think I was. My mom doesn't say that, you know, like my brother was the anxious one when we were growing up, but I wasn't. Um, so what was, uh, so what was session one? Did they, what did they, was it uh, IV? Was it a pill? Is a pill, capsule format. So. Nice. Uh, how, how many milligrams? Um, the first. Did they tell you? Yeah. Was, the, was this a double blind? Like, were some of y'all getting placebo or everyone was getting MDMA? Okay. Well, because um, the, the counselors that I were doing, um, I was doing it with, they were newer to the study and I was. Um, their, like their first little section. So I was technically, um, I was, I knew what I was getting. They knew what I was getting. Um, but in zone three of this, of the trial, it, it, it's double, um, what'd you call it? Blind. blind. Double blind. Yeah. I'd be so pissed. That's, that would be my luck. Cause I would sign up for one of those and I'd get a sugar pill. Yeah, it would yeah. still work for me because I'm crazy, but I'd be. So <laughs> that's so well, mad. that's a, so it's really funny. So what? the, Oh, Sorry. Uh, the um, there's like a bunch of pre sessions before the first drug session, you know. So it's like assessing my trauma, them getting to know me as a human being, and all my trauma and all that stuff. So go through all these hoops, all the paperwork, you know, all the like. Here's what can possibly happen. Um, and then fast forward to my first session. Your first session, you take a lower dosage than your next two. So uh, my first session was 80 milligrams, and my next two were 120 milligrams. Um, now, about 90 minutes into your first or into your session, you can take a, a half dosage that then will extend the mm-hmm. the drug in your system it doesn't you know like make the peak any higher it just makes the experience longer um which i did you know i felt comfortable doing that so um yeah i took the 80 milligrams um and then you kind of talk for you know a few minutes we talked about 30 minutes and then we do this thing that um we referred to as going inside which was me putting on headphones and listening to music and putting on um a blindfold 
That sounds amazing. Yeah. So, and this is so talking to someone that is completely. So your only chemical experience really is alcohol. Yes. Which is the wackest of all the chemicals. Uh, so like what, when you first took it, I mean, what were your thoughts? Oh my gosh. Okay. This is hilarious. So, <laughs> um, because I had so much anxiety, I was sitting there, you know, I'd put my the headphones on and the blindfolds on and they, you know, are very much like you take them off when you feel you're ready to you can put them back on the field. You need some decompression. It's very much about like the patient kind of calling the shots. And your music I can't, choice? Um, they actually said that they would choose the music. Um, and it was mostly, you know, kind of like ethereal, like very massage therapy esque music. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but so I'm sitting there with the headphones on and like, Think about it. I've had a controlling father my entire life. I never knew how to make my own decisions. So them telling me, just come out when you're ready. Take take them off when you're ready. Um, I was sitting there <laughs> freaking out mentally. I was just like, I'm not feeling anything. I'm not feeling anything. I'm not, what if I'm that one person that like drugs don't work on? I've never done drugs before. What if they don't work on me? What if I'm fuck up? What if this is all uh, nothing? Like just sitting there mentally freaking the fuck out. That's awesome. <laughs> um, oh, it's going to work. And, and that's like, I like started to feel tingling sensations like all over my skin, but I wasn't sure if it was just in my head or not, you know? Oh, sure. Yeah, totally. Like, am I just like forcing something to happen mentally? <laughs> totally. Um, so, so yeah, so especially cause it is a lower dose as well. Um, I, at first didn't feel, I took the headphones off eventually and, told them like i don't know if it's working <laughs> yeah Yo, you need to call your guy doc i think he sold you some bunk <laughs> shit <laughs> and i'm sure that my like eyes looked like saucers at this point and they're like no don't worry <laughs> yeah it's working <laughs> it's working and i'm like okay um and so um you know we talked for a little bit and and uh i i you know would put the headphones back on and and then talk some more. And I remember at the point in my first session when I was just like, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is ecstasy. Yeah. This is what John and Jed devoted decades of their life to. Got it. Yeah. And, and just like feeling like my entire body was breathing together. I don't know. So like fucking craziest feeling. Um, and at the peak of the the drug, I um, had the blinders on and the headphones on and remember feeling my soul and my body all connected and like being able to feel every inch of myself as a human being on this earth and then feeling the earth and the universe connected to me. It was insane. You should literally feel my pulse right now. <laughs> I need a meeting after this. <clears throat> So how immediate, so did, did you immediately feel the, uh, connection with your therapist too? Um, 
It was different. Um, I mean, there was a lot of rapport that had already been built between. So it's actually two therapists. Um, it's um, Dr. Zenia and um, Sarah are my two therapists. Um, Were they in there at the same time? Yeah, yeah. So it's um, the two, the pair of them, which I think is actually a really fantastic way to do it. Um, because I didn't ever feel like I was going to be too much. Mm. Which, when I was in therapy beforehand, um, even the therapy I was doing before the PT, like, like when Keegan and I started going crazy, like, I would mediate myself because I always have felt like I'm too much for people. Um, So with the two therapists, I felt, I never felt like I was going to be too much for them because there's two of them. Um, It was weird. But so, yeah, um, they're sitting there the entire time. Like, even when I'm just sitting there with headphones on, listening to music, with my blinders on, tripping. (laughs) They're just sitting there. (laughs) Um, Which also brought, like, a really nice sense of of being secure. Like, at no point, like, if at any point, if I feel this is too much or start to freak out, they are going to be there. Did they, was it, was it in part of the writing, did they use, like, uh would they have given you Xanax or something? If it like, I wonder, uh, even though because it's ecstasy, that never happens. No one's ever like, I want this to stop. But I wonder if that, if you would have been like, I'm done freaking, I'm freaking if they would have given you something. Um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of them, the stuff that they have to say and the way that they guided everything, it, uh, they, they were to de-escalate stuff or just to even allow me to be there um so my first session I didn't have any really crazy um negative feelings um I had like the sense of being one and whole and realized like my only job on this earth is to be wholly me um and then towards the end, I kind of started to um, experience a lot of the pain and hurt that my father had put on me and that I had never allowed myself to feel before. But that was really it um, during the second session. So the sessions were about a month apart, um, and we do three non-drug sessions in between um, each drug session. Um and just kind of, you know, like, how are you processing things and stuff like that. Um that my second session and my third session got fucking crazy as far as like the amount of trauma that came up and the way it manifested itself physically in my body and um, me mentally having a hard time dealing with it. Um, But yeah, so like what, so one How, so, thing, real quick, real quick, Jed. I don't mean to cut you off, but I'm gonna cut you off. Yeah, you, go said, for it. you said one thing, um, and you said it before, actually, at the first house church after you had your first session. That I realized that my only job here on earth was to be holy me. So when you say holy, you mean like W H O, like my whole self, right? Exactly who I am. So would you describe that as a spiritual yeah. experience? And did that session have any, um, not just on your trauma, but did it have any uh, effect on on how you view the world spiritually? 
Um, yeah, I would definitely say that it was a spiritual experience, um, but not in oh, the way that I would have thought of it, uh, thought of a spiritual experience beforehand. Um, I have also been in the midst of a faith transition. I was fundamentalist Christian all growing up. And honestly, since everything with Keegan started happening, I had already kind of been distant from Christian religion for a few years prior to that and had moved away from fundamentalist Christianity about five years ago and had, you know, started to really support like LGBTQ communities and just not, not being in line with fundamentalist Christianity anymore. And then had kind of even been further away from that. And then when everything with Keegan and I happened, I was just like, I don't know what the fuck I believe. If there's a God, he's fucking cruel. Um, did did God come up in my- during these feelings? Because this is almost this is almost sometimes what I feel like might even be just one of the intrinsic traps of drugs and chemicals in general is that it does, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing by itself, but the continued pursuit of it can for me was definitely bad. It just completely turns it inward and like only inward and like you know what i'm saying does that make sense like spiritually inward yeah like it kind of, it's it i don't want to say it cuts you off from god and this i'm and i'm I guess i'm speaking more for me but it like i don't know it's just a different it's a whole it's a vastly different spirituality than I don't know. I'm not. I I understand what you're saying, Jeb, but I think that that has a lot to do with um, the persistence of our drug use and chasing that. And also, I think that um, drug addicts in general are built seeking to fill an empty void in us already. So, so what I'm what I'm trying to get at is, did you get gain any perspective spiritually from your experience with MDMA? Yeah, so I'm I'm all um I was going to therapy and then I was also going to CODA meetings and mm-hmm. um and then I started the PTSD trial um and true hitting it from all angles. Yeah, like I told you yeah. I was at my fuck I mean I was just I was suicidal. I yeah. mm-hmm. needed to find something to change what was going on in my my mental world. I definitely applaud you for seeking instead of just taking the way out, for sure. I mean, like, really, really and truly. Thank you. Um, Yeah, so I was already struggling with spirituality because in CODA, you know, I mean, like, there's very much the... the CODA CODA is Codependence Anonymous, sorry, for people that don't know. Um, There's an expectancy of of having a higher power in whatever way you see that. And Mm -hmm. I was, you know, kind of trying to figure out what that was for me now. Um, And so then to have this experience of feeling like everything is connected and this monism, um, this oneness with everything, Mm -hmm. um, I think helped me. In that, um, and I definitely, I would say, have more mystic view of life now because um, it didn't feel like there was this this presence or this God. You know, it felt like the universe and me were the same thing. Mm. Um, and that, yeah, and that's, yeah, that's, 
yeah that could take me down a second rabbit hole of is that a good thing yeah i mean i think you know what i'm saying like yeah i totally understand what you're saying because if you view you and the universe as being one then you can develop a god complex pretty damn sure um But I think for me, it was liberating because I had an abusive, controlling father that I, you know, definitely felt that I was nothing without. Um, And then I had Christian fundamentalist religion pressed upon me, saying that I was nothing without God and Christ um, and both male figures as well. And um, where it was in this space of believing that I was worthless without a, a male authority figure in my life. I see. Mm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Perspective. See. Yeah. 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 So, so this feeling of, wait, I'm connected. Me, personally, am connected to the universe means that I can handle my shit. It means that I do have some control in this crazy world we call life. And that control is in my healing you know i can't control any force i can't control you know who's going to come into my life and who's going to go out of it um but i can control how i heal from that if i choose to heal from that or if i choose to try to use something else as a placeholder for healing and i, uh, I would that's have, a good explanation for it i would imagine that feeling oneness with the universe um would start to give somebody uh, an innate sense of value as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've really been working very hard on feeling like just being alive gave me value. Um, Because, I mean, I definitely, um, when finding out that Keegan not only had been having an affair, but had had one that I hadn't known about and one that I had known about, um, so three in total, I just... Was, it uprooted your world. It uprooted my world. It uprooted any sense of, of value or worth that I had. And just, mm. I mean, that really highlights how much I put my own, like, my own value in him and mm. his mm. wife. Um, and really, I mean, that's what it was like when, before Keegan, you know, I found value in being a daughter to my mom and my dad and a sister to my sister. Um always something in relation to somebody else exactly and um when i i got to a um when i was in high school things started to get just super terrible um pile at home between my dad and i and so i used college college as a way out um and sunk into depression because i didn't have those modifiers anymore you know i didn't have my mom and my sister and my brother around i didn't have my dad who is even though he was controlling that's how i gauged who i was as a person and so i took all of these parameters away of how i gauged myself as a human being and i didn't know how to function. So I just became severely depressed, like to the point where I accidentally almost overdosed on allergy pills, birth control and uh, cough medicine. I just like, wasn't paying attention how much I was taking. I took like a bunch of them um, all within a few hours of each other, having no, having not eaten and all that day. Cause I'm i I'm the person that when I'm depressed, I forget to eat. 
Mm-hmm. So I hadn't realized I hadn't eaten at all. I took a bunch of this different medicine and then I um, woke up in the morning and could not make it like kept passing out on my way down the hall to the bathroom in the dorms mm-hmm. and yeah. managed to call my mom and and tell her like, I, I don't know what's going on. And I was dry heaving and my roommate thought I was actually dying. Um, so yeah, just like severe depression. Um yeah, so so I never was able to myself as a, if that makes sense. Like just yeah. self. It was always in relation to another person. I was always a daughter or a sister or a wife or a best friend. Um Pat- yeah, that sense of of I'm connected to the universe really regardless. Kind of yeah. That like that ha- feeling has it- fuck, I'm valuable <laughs> because I'm alive. That's it. I'm alive. I'm valuable. Totally. I need to hear that sometimes too. Sean never reminds me. <laughs> Call no, me Pat. Your haircut. I'm sorry. No, I mean that's my. <laughs> I just started back on depression medicine. That's all. That's my excuse today. So I'm sorry, John. I didn't mean that. This is another. This is a day of adjustment. It's been a rough week. Um, has it left you with a desire to repeat the process? So my last session was the the hardest session out of all three and the most difficult. Um, all of my repressed memories came back in my third session. Um, I was severely depressed for the week after my first session. I had a reoccurrence of suicidal thoughts after my third session. Um, so part of me felt or does feel like one more session would be beneficial just in the sense of I could finish full processing um, in that space where the MDMA takes away a lot of the the feelings of of constraint that I feel like my anxiety and depression had have put on me. Um, but I also feel like I have the tools and the capacity to process all of the things just in a slower manner. I feel like sure. when you're on the drug, it's just like I'm processing all of this stuff in like hyper speed. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I can make this connection here and that connection right. there. And oh my gosh, like all of this is beautiful and amazing and also terrible. And yeah. um, you know, because I'm processing yeah. trauma. So so realizing like, wow, some and it's- fucked up shit happened to you. Um was and that's the, the I'm sorry. sorry, go ahead. No, you. <laughs> no, I was say, it's funny what you're describing. I mean, when it's when using these extremely powerful chemicals in this setting, like a lot of what you're describing, other people will call, oh, I was having a bad trip. When it's really like it perhaps was doing its intended purpose and you were just trying to do it at a frat party. Yeah. So like that's so the, not the time to be fucking with these medicines in a sense. Yeah. So yeah, so totally. The, really, no, it's, they're not. I feel about it. I could totally understand. I mean, like my third session, a hundred percent would be classified as a bad trip in any other sense. But because I have two trained therapists sitting mm-hmm. at the end of a futon that I'm on like it didn't go that way you know they were right. able to say well why is this feeling coming up why 
and also guide me in that and not taking me out of it. And that's, I think, one of the most important things uh, about this therapy is that they don't ever ask you to not feel something. Um, So um, I had repressed memories of sexual abuse come up in my third session. And it just like made everything else in my life make sense. And I have um, always uh, done this weird thing where I'll grab my midsection and squeeze and like almost try to compress my waist as much as I possibly can when I'm feeling any type of panic and anxiety. Um, and like a nervous tick almost. Yeah. Almost like that. And I, um, and so I was doing that when all the memories were coming back up, I like kept grabbing. And I mean, just like really using all the muscles I possibly could to like try to diminish my waistline. Um, and it's, it comes from this sense of feeling completely hollow in my stomach. Like I feel like somebody mm-hmm. ripped out all of my organs and I'm bleeding massively from my waist and I'm just trying to shove my waist together to stop the bleeding and make this, the hollow space where my organs once was whole again. Um, and, and, and that's a memory that came back up. The, um, that's that's the way the sexual abuse made me feel. So, Got you. Yeah. and what's crazy is I've been feeling that feeling my mm. entire life and not knowing what it's from. So I just thought that that's that I was just bad at being a human being and was losing my shit and was crazy. Like I literally just thought I was crazy, um, but that was the manifestation of the sexual trauma that had happened. Um, but I had started to feel that during the session and instead of them shying away from it or trying to make me not do that or calm down, they actually asked if I would feel comfortable with Sarah, um, helping me. So I like laid down, laid fully down on the futon and Sarah um, put her hands on my waist and helped me squeeze my waist. Wow. Um, and just like, allowing yourself to uh, do what you are being led to do has one of the greatest impacts because my body wanted to express this feeling in a physical manner. And I finally like just let go and fully let myself do that. And it brought a sense of, of healing to it of like, okay, I'm fully acknowledging that, that the sexual trauma that I experienced has made me feel hollow mm-hmm. and just like letting myself be there. That's yeah. That's like the, what they say is one of the main reasons for that is like you bring back up the specific trauma and you're coupling it with the good feelings of the drug. So it's almost like, um, it's kind of like, did they do like EMDR you ever heard of that? Like the yeah, eye actually, movement? It's the therapy I was doing before this. I was doing yeah before. I was- so yeah, it's just all about like bringing back up the trauma, but you have these, one of the theories is like the pleasurable feelings of the drug. So just kind of like next it's um, kind of like reverse. Um, what the hell is it? Like a uh, like clockwork orange, but backwards. Yes. <laughs> like Anabies. I can't think God. today. I'm really blaming my, uh, Anabies. I'm leaning heavy on that medication blame today, but yeah, it's like a reverse Pavlov's dog type stuff. That's super interesting, though. It sounds like a badass therapist. Um, and this is really like, yeah, I'm, yeah, sorry you had to go through all that sexual abuse. I'm in my field, like I'm just, I just, it, it comes up. So- 
I mean, I'm like 95% of the time. Mm-hmm. And it's Forget just like is this Maggie, but Maggie probably doesn't. Jed's uh, uh, works at a treatment center for a- adolescents. So he's with, yeah. like, what, 13 to 13 to 17 year olds. Yeah. And I mean, like, I mean, all of them. And it's Bad just ass kids. Yeah. Yeah. And but it's, well, just, uh... what's crazy is how much everything else made sense once I let myself remember the, the sexual trauma. Um, I mean, it had to do with. Um, some forced oral um, and I have always had like a deep just like disgust towards that and that was a mm. huge struggle in my marriage um, mm. you know my husband mm. was like well if you loved me you know like you would want right. to do this for me and I had the reverse of like if you loved me you want to ask me to do this um, and knowing now why like why I had such a strong negative reaction to that and why I felt sense of shame and disgust after any time I did. But then I love my husband, and I know that this is something that he enjoys and is a way that I can love him. So I had this this terrible, like, tearing apart. Conflict. Of, like, I totally total shame and total disgust of myself. Not of him, of myself. Um, and I mm. tried to communicate that with him, and it came out as a disgust of him. You know, we were much younger and I wasn't in any kind of therapy. And so trying to explain to your husband, like, oh, yeah, I just feel a sense of disgust. Right. Didn't come across well and created more problems. Um, Right. But yeah, but um, now realizing like that sense of disgust and shame of myself is because I was forced to do this as as like a six year old. Yeah. and just also, like, I never, Keegan is the only male I've ever been physical with. Um, I'd kissed, like, four guys before I'd ever kissed Keegan. And that was it. Like, only the only person who has done more than kiss me is Keegan. Um, and that makes a lot of sense. Like, anytime anything would start to increase physically with a person was when I all of a sudden was no longer interested in them. Um, and never felt physically safe with any male ever. Um, and a lot of that was my father also instilled deep fear and paranoia in me, you know, telling me essentially that like any man is going to want to rape me and, um, just like furthering that sense of unsafeness with verbal abuse. Dude, were you able to, did it instill any sense of forgiveness with your father? So here's the crazy thing is my father was sexually abused at the same age. Um, almost uncle. in every case, that's almost how it goes. Yep. Almost mm-hmm. like a hundred percent of the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that on it, to be honest, I think my father has repressed the memories of him doing that to me himself. Wow. Um, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. Because there was a point when I, um, when I first, when the, uh, the, when the verbal and emotional trauma started at its worst, I was about 11. Um, and he would wake me up in the middle of the night. Um, it is, it's, he started waking me up. And then as the trauma continued, I just stayed awake. I just almost never slept as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the very first time it ever happened, he woke me up, um, and started asking me if anybody had ever hurt me. Um, and I remember just 
being so confused and he was hmm. now I know he was very drunk um I didn't I was 11 I didn't know what right. drunk people looked like <laughs> like right he was, he was right. I mean I think of it I'm like an 11 year old I was always scrawny I was like sticking bones as a kid um this scrawny tiny 11 year old girl with a dad who's six four and over 200 pounds like crying it was terrifying and you know at that point like even if I did remember the sexual abuse at that point I was going to say no no matter what um Mm -hmm. and um you know just him him sobbing and him I mean just the whole thing screams of somebody who's who feels guilt Um, but a person and I do like fully believe that that he doesn't even remember that he did it himself Um, and then also knowing about his trauma and his parents found out about it and swept it like, you know, cut off communications with the, but didn't get therapy, like didn't, oh, it's done. And now we're not going to talk about it. Um, yeah. So knowing that he never was given the, the tools and his dad was pretty well, and this is. I mean, this is how, this is precisely how we can call them generational curses. I mean, this is how that stuff gets broken. Yeah, yeah. Which is really rad. Um, I mean, it's that's literally how you change. That's how the world gets changed, exactly yeah. like what you're going through. Well, and so that's the thing is, like, I don't have any real um, anger towards the sexual abuse the anger I feel and um, towards him is all of the emotional abuse that came afterward. Sure. Yeah. Totally understandable. Um, so I've, so would you, so since this is something that's going into FDA, is this your personal opinion? Do you think like this should be widely available? A hundred percent. I think that it should be dealt with, um, a great sense of respect towards their um, the way that they determine whether or not it's going to be positive for a person. Um, and, you know, I don't think it should be taken lightly. Um, it has been one of the most intense experiences of my life. Um, and yeah, it's, it's for people who are extremely serious about getting better totally and that's it's it it's funny because that's just the the black and white straight up difference is that i would go go through all that it's like when you when you say that these are just how i know that i've got some disease that is just different because when you're like yeah i had to be a month between each session i was like oh my god i'd be fucking going insane like calling that doctor can we move it up can we we, uh i had to buy some in the meantime uh i had some breakthroughs i'll call you and tell you about it uh yeah, no, it's um totally. I think uh I think for people like you though, like yes, I I absolutely think um medicines like that definitely have their purpose and yeah. I'm, I'm super happy for you. Like that's really awesome yeah. that you're uh I mean literally your life has changed. Mhm. Like and just knowing, I mean talking to other people and talking to, first off about my symptoms of trauma and them going okay, I do all of that same stuff. I struggle mm-hmm. with all of those same things. And then talking about breaking those 
um, those things that I have struggled with my entire life and how I don't struggle with anymore. It's like I was hanging out with my friend Levi and Justin the other night, and um, they were playing a show up in Myrtle was there <laughs> and I was just hanging out with them and afterwards we hung out and then ended up at the beach and went swimming um, and I, I was driving home at like two in the morning and and had this realization that before all of my treatment I wouldn't have even been able to convince myself to hang out with them because in my mind I wouldn't have been worthy like I if they invited me to hang out it was because of pity um I wasn't really wanted and then if I started to hang out with them if I managed to get over that feeling um I would the entire time be scared that something bad was going to happen to me like I'd be terrified the entire time that I was going to be raped yeah and not not a single one of those feelings came up at all all. And I realized that when I was driving home, I was just like, oh, tonight was so much fun. I loved hanging out with these dudes. Like we had some great conversation. And then it hit me like, holy fuck, you weren't freaking out at any point. Like mentally, you were just enjoying the night. And that is, that's like never happened to me in my life. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to get emotional. Oh, that's so awesome. I mean, like, being able to function and not have my panic and depression weighing down on me the entire time. I wouldn't, I don't even know, like I would not be able to even comprehend how I feel now 10 months ago. Right. Jeez. Well, I'm convinced. I'll see y'all later. I'm gonna go, uh, <laughs> make an appointment. No, I mean, this is, you know, I mean, that's, that's awesome. I'm super I'm still on my journey of trying to figure out, trying to manage my mental illness and, and all that stuff. Um, yeah, it's definitely a journey for sure. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. I know. Oh, and congr- and to, you know, to the wise-ass congregation members out there, we're not telling you to go buy ecstasy and have your own little session, people. All right. I'm talking to you, Scott. Yeah, I will say that I don't. I think if it was in any other context, that I would have made my trauma worse. Like I would have totally. worsened um, yeah. all of it if I didn't have the the feeling of how safe I was with my two therapists and how safe I was in. Um, just having done all of this work and all of the work in each session um like if i had my third session without any of the previous progress and um safety i would i would have committed suicide oh wow yeah yeah if i had had that trip by myself without all of the previous work i would not be alive maybe that's been my problem Maybe we can do drugs again, dude. We just have right, but we ther- just need. I just need to hire two therapists to come. <laughs> <up>. <laughs> All right, Doc. I'm gonna shoot some dope. Just like you know, let me know what kind of stuff I say. I think it'll. You know. So also, I was thinking it'd be really gnarly if, like, after this, uh, you hang up and then you just hear your therapist like, "Okay, Maggie, 
this the first session's over and you're like what i've been in there the whole time it's like a total recall situation <laughs> That'd be awesome. That, would be awesome the other thing is like uh we would get done with the session i'm like wait a minute what we started like an hour ago and it had been like 10 hours god i'm like what no we started good shit dude yeah. i know dude that's so the awesome. other thing is i um had residual effects afterwards so i would feel the drug like uh so you stay the night and you do like your first integration integration session the next morning um and then like i would get home and they have somebody drive you home so that you're not driving and it's like i still felt the drug Oh, like yeah. on the drive home, and then every after every session, the that exactly a week afterwards, I would have another ex- spiritual mystic experience of like being one with the universe. That's incredible. Totally, it's crazy. Awesome. So how was it? Well, thank. How was it halfway rolling with my wife and kids when they drove you home? <laughs> how, I mean, that's weird. <laughs> like i wanted to tell em about all of the things that came up but a lot of it is is like traumatic sexual stuff that came up and your kids are sitting in the back screaming that they love me and i'm like i love you too levi i love you you so much you don't even understand but and i'm like trying to communicate with em she's like are you okay i'm like yeah a lot came up and she's like you want to talk about i'm like yeah i really do but not with your kids in the back (laughs) (laughs) just turn on some calvin harris please (laughs) all right awesome well thank you so much um thank you